Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In June of 2022, a group of theologians met at the Pontifical Academy for Life to discuss how traditional Catholic sexual moral teachings are applied in the modern world. They propose questions, which is what theologians do, uh, and they think on these things. And um, some some of those uh, contributing at this conference came up with the idea that we are in, in time, we're in a moment of radical paradigm change in moral theology, and they're calling into question some church teachings, uh, whether or not they are infallible. Now, there's been a response uh, to this uh, original group uh, that is called in the publication. Um, was called Theological Ethics uh, of Life, Scripture, Tradition, Practical Challenges. So that was that was the volume that came out uh, as a result of this conference in June of 2022. But in December of 2022, another group of theologians took place to respond uh, to what had been uh, put forward. And those essays are available now in a volume called Humanae Vitae in Catholic Sexual Morality. It's a response to the Pontifical Academy of Life's uh, Theological Ethics. It was edited by, edited by Dr. Robert Vestigi and Dr. Matthew Levering. Uh, joining me today to go over this, you know, this controversy and to lay out for us uh, points of commonality and points of controversy is Dr. Robert Vestigi. Uh, he is chair of Dogmatic Theology and Christology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. He's done private research in Paris and Montreal and took part in a study tour of Saudi Arabia sponsored by the National Council for U.S.-Arab Relations. He has served as the executive editor of the 2009-2013 supplements to the New Catholic Encyclopedia and is the author of several books, including The Mystical Theology of the Catholic Reformation. And Robert, good to have you here again. Thank oh, you. Well, thank you, Al. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, why don't you set this up for us? Uh, no. You're much more you're much more acquainted with the initial conference and yeah. why it begged for a response. Yes. Well, the 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 Pontifical Academy for Life had a had a conference, as you said, in June of 2022, and it it was published. The proceedings were published, and, and it was uh, multilingual. I think the majority were in Italian, but okay. there were some in French, English, I think one in Spanish. Uh, thank God, none in German. That would be more <laughs> difficult for, for me to read, but I, I went through it. They're not all, all the uh, essays are not all dissident or uh, right. creating problems, so I think we have to be fair, and I know yeah, some of absolutely. the authors and and so it, it, it's what you call a mixed bag. Yes. You know, that, and, and Archbishop Palia said, well, when people come together, certainly you're going to have different points of view and so on. This is what theologians do. Sure. But, mm -hmm. of course, it was a base text or a foundational text, Testo Basse, and there were a few statements there that uh, raised some red flags, and, and I had noted them and, and so on. But, of course... Uh, we know we owe so much to Professor Jane Adolf uh, yes. from Ave Maria yes, School of I, Law. I know Jane, and she somehow was able to pull t this together. I I helped contact some authors and so on, and we prayed, 
And we thought, well, the ambiguous parts or the questionable parts need a response. And uh, we, she received funding, and we were mm. able to meet in Rome at a, at a hotel in December of 2022. So it's not that long, right. like six Same months year. afterwards. Yeah. And then we were able to recruit some really outstanding theologians. I mean, if you look, look at the, the table of contents, uh, these are people who have been at the forefront of defending uh, humani vitae mm-hmm. and traditional, uh, uh, let us say, a Catholic morality. And, uh, and so we had Monsignor Livio Malina and uh, uh, Monsignor Piotr Mazukevich, Matthew Levering, Gregor Pupink, but uh, John Finnis. Yeah. You know, he was the one who worked uh, so much defending humani vitae, our own uh, Father Peter Ryan, S.J., yep. uh, and Michal Waldstein, and uh, Father Jose Granados, uh, and also uh, Angela Franks, Paul Gondreau, yep. yep. uh, Adrian Reimers, and Oana Gozia, who had taught for the John Paul II Institute in Rome. Now she's at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. She's from Romania, but fluent in multiple languages, including yeah. English and and. Uh, we also recruited Teresa, Dr. Teresa Notare, who works uh, has worked for 30 years for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, Natural Family Planning okay. a, 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 um, a program, and Teresa Farnan, who works uh, with this Person and Identity uh, Project, uh, uh, and it's connected with George Weigel and the uh, Ethics and Publics. Policy. So the, we, we covered a lot it's a, of it's a great areas. Lineup, yeah, yeah, and 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 I mean there are a few others, and I, I I couldn't mention, but somehow Jane thought it should begin on on um, on December eighth, and we would <laughs> okay. consecrate it to Our Lady. Okay. So I and and uh, I wrote the concept uh, note or the concept statement because we 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 didn't want to be confrontational. We, yeah. because it, we wanted to be in a spirit of dialogue, yeah. and this is what what, what we what were meant to do. And so, I mean, that, that we were wonder, we were very happy to have Teresa Notare because she's from the USCCB. Yes, and sometimes uh, you know people at the USCCB are sensitive; they don't <laughs> want to uh, seem to be oppositional. Right. But right. that was not our idea. We yeah. what we were concerned about mostly is uh, is there a question of under. Uh, uh, is is humane vitae now up for grabs, or or so to speak, questioning it? So, so and that would you say that was the the central problem that you saw in this document? Uh, well, there's a there's a there's a few questions, and in the introduction, Matthew and I try to lay them out. I mean, what what do we mean by this new paradigm? And and, and actually, that that re, that is in uh, that is used by Pope Francis um, in his apostolic. Constitution for the uh, Veritatis Gaudium, which he seems to indicate it's a change in educational orientation in light of cultural changes. Yeah. So that, that, in other words, theology just can't be self-referential. It has to try to, in an evangelical way, reach out. And this is the new paradigm. But uh, some have interpreted the new paradigm as uh, questioning moral norms. Yeah. So okay. we wanted to to investigate that, and then also about humane vitae because there is in the 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 testo base or the 
foundational text, base text. You know, if you're trying, base text is accurate, but then it seems like it's base. You know, <laughs> so, but, uh, so I translated it foundational. Okay. But, uh, but it, it says, you know, the norm of humane vitae always refers to a good that precedes and exceeds it, which is true, but then it seems to imply in, in Michael Waldstein's uh, uh, response was, was was very much concerned with this. It seems to say whatever is chosen, you have to maintain uh, the respect uh, to avoid the contraceptive mentality. Well, that brings back memories yeah. of what what people were saying, as you said, yeah. in the 1970s yeah. and, and 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 so on. And we went through that battle, um, but now it's a question of. Uh, 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 of whether or not these these, these matters are, are going to be reinvestigated. So then, uh, um, and then the question of intrinsically evil acts. Mm. Uh, yeah. is, there wasn't a great emphasis upon that, but of course that was one of the great themes of Veritatis Splendor. It, it, it was, yeah, and, which, and it was intended to yeah, settle uh, the issue, right? Uh, yeah, and I mean, I... I, in graduate school, I had met some of the people questioning that. I mean, Father Joseph Fuchs, yeah, I had yeah. met. He came over to give a lecture at Fordham yeah, University. giant of last generation. Yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and I had a, he was a visiting professor at Fordham, Father Bernard Herring. Yep. So I, I know I know the mindset, yeah. but I his, thought through it. And his, I, his Law of Christ yeah, yeah, is the, one of those textbooks, yeah. three volumes. Uh, so again, he was another giant. Of last generation. That's that's right. And so, all we 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 selected and we were able to get the uh, papers given at this conference. Uh, Some were given remotely, uh, and then we we saw that there was a a lack of uh, a good essay on scripture. So Father Jose Granados uh, was able to recruit a a a great Spanish uh, scripture scholar. Uh, Father Luis Sanchez Navarro, and he sent his essay in in, in Italian, but we we trans you know we had it tra- we translated it, uh, and uh, but it, it was a great honor to be part of this, uh, and uh, so uh, uh, the, we we divided it our our book into four uh, I think four part part one foundational issues of dealing more with scripture and moral norms. And then doctrinal dimension, and uh, Dr. Fulvio Di Blasi had a very good article or, or chapter on uh, intrinsically evil acts. And then John Finnis and Peter Ryan talked about the infallibility of the Church's teaching uh, against contraception. And some people say, well, it's it's changeable, it, it's authoritative, but open for change. But uh, there was. That great article by Father Ford and Germain Griset, God rest his soul, both yeah. of them, yeah. uh, that that this is really infallible by virtue of the ordinary universal magisterium. Yeah. And yeah. John Finnis pulled out something written by Father Karl Rahner early on, wow. which seemed to uh, which 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 affirmed its in its its definitive status. Wow! Uh, uh, wow! Uh, you know, before Humanae Vitae. Yeah, so, that's so, interesting. So then I I dealt with the question of descent, but then we had the anthropological dimension, and this is where there was like when you separate a moral norm or an ideal from concrete acts. Well, you know, we we are we are embodied 
individuals. So, I, 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 you, you know, can you separate, you know, the norm from what is chosen, the concrete acts? And uh, so there, there were a number of uh, essays on this and the language of the body. Father Jose Granados mm-hmm. did a wonderful essay. Uh, Paul uh, Gandro on the body matters, uh, that there's sometimes a lack of... And, uh, yeah. we, Robert, we have to pause for a moment here, go on to the uh, next segment. We've got to take a break. Yeah. We'll pick it up in just a moment, good, okay? Good. My guest, Dr. Robert Festigi, uh, again, talking about important issues in moral theology. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Robert Festigi. We are looking over some debates in the field of moral theology, uh, one of them dealing with uh, whether, the, in fact, there can be intrinsic, uh, intrinsically evil acts. Uh, another one has to do with uh, humanae vitae. Is it, uh, is, is it infallible? Um, and in one, one area which... Uh, I think it's probably puzzling to many people, and that is whether um, there can en- there are any um, concrete moral norms uh, that, if violated, uh, are evil. And you wanted uh, Robert, you wanted to point out that uh, uh, Doctor Waldstein. Oh. Really did something uh, unusual here, yeah. in that in his essay on humanae vitae and the unity of the human person, he actually took the, this text and kind of turned tables on it. Well, yes, it was it was quite remarkable, and he had alerted me that he was going to do this, and he actually contrasted the foundational text to the Testo Basse with what Pope Francis says. But it's on on page 224 of the book where he has the translation of the first part of the what he translates accurately, it could be, uh, the base text, um, and where it says, this is in the the, uh, uh, Theological Ethics of Life, uh, uh, one could understand the undeniable demand inscribed in the fundamental formulas expressed by Humanae Vitae 10 to 14, the norm always po- points to a good that precedes and exceeds it. Its truth is not reducible to the literal statement, because while it designates a moral imperative, it symbolically attests and refers to the experience of a good that calls for being willed. The truth of the norm, also in Humanae Vitae, holds more aspects together. It points beyond literal observance of a law that would be purely physical urging the spouses to bring the mystery of generation together with the response to this gift. Now, all of this sounds very good, but then he points to a a, a subsequent part of the base text, 172. In the perspectives we have outlined, the alternative between, quote, natural and, quote, artificial methods is overcome at root. 
the question plays itself out in the concretely possible forms of generous and no less demanding responsibility with respect to the gift of generating. And so uh, uh, Dr. Waldstein comments, the main question is not the alternative between natural and artificial in a general sense, but the alternative between performing a genital act with the intention of performing it according to its nature as a procreative act or performing it with an opposite intention that changes the very nature of the moral act. Man and woman should mean what they say to each other by a procreative act. So I had picked this up, you know, even before the conference, you know, reading the the Testo Basse in Italian, and I said, this seems to be very clever, if if I may say so. They affirm the norm and the value of humane vitae, but then as long as the value of of humane vitae is... is, uh, is, is practiced or uh, observed, whether one chooses natural or artificial means. And so then, as a stroke of genius, um, Professor Waldstein quotes from Pope Francis in Amoris Laetitia 80. And this is what Pope Francis says, the child who was born does not come from outside. This is Pope Francis. From outside is something added on to the natural love of the spouses, but springs from the very heart of that mutual giving as its fruit and fulfillment, as the Catechism uh, number 2360 says. He or she does not appear at the end of a process, but is present from the beginning of love as an essential feature, one that cannot be denied without disfiguring that love itself. From the outset, love refuses every impulse to close in on itself. It is open to a fruitfulness that draws it beyond itself. Hence, no genital act of husband and wife can refuse this meaning. Wow. Humane Vitae, 11 through 12, Amoris Laetitia, number 80. And <laughs> Dr. Waldstein concludes, in agreement with the first section of Ethica Theologica, chapter uh, 7, Pope Francis fo- focuses on the full glory of a concrete hor- historical event, a sacramental event that expresses a final and definitive meaning in the covenant of procreative love between spouses. Mm. So he actually contrasts what Pope Francis says in Amoris Laetitia with what the base text of uh, this uh, uh, of this uh, uh, theological ethics of life says. Pope so, Francis is defending the the traditional tr- tr- understanding, teaching. yeah, yes, the teaching which, of humanae vitae. Yes, so I remember one of the first discussions of Amoris Laetitia with Father Fessio and, and Mark Brumley, uh, the one woman they had, I forget her name, she said she was rather surprised that Pope Francis came out so strongly uh, defending humane vitae. Right, right. You know? no, but, but there was something else I wanted to discuss, and oh, what, what, you know, Monsignor Molina and John Finnis and uh, Father Ryan, we were concerned about whether or not the infallibility of humane vitae is now being questioned. Because yes. if a teaching is authoritative, but not definitive or infallible, it means it's subject to change. Right. And here right. I, was, I responded in my article about whether dissent on Catholic sexual morality is ever justified. And no, 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 before we yes. go there, let me just... Um, so I think most, most of my listeners would you know be affirming of uh, humane vitae yeah. and probably receive it uh, as infallible uh, they probably don't think a lot about 
the, the moral reasoning that leads up to it, but they yeah. accept it as the church teaches it. Um, and I, I think, they, they would, as I would, I find it strange that somebody would, on the one hand, affirm the, the good uh, presented by Humanae Vitae, but then would go on to deny its concrete application. Um, yeah. That's weird to me. Yeah, no, it, the, there were a number of essays saying the separation of the moral teaching from concrete acts. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I, I experienced this when I was a graduate student at Fordham University. Yeah, you went it, through those years. Well, sure, I was, I was <laughs> in, in, the, in the mid-'70s, and, yeah. and, I mean, I had Father Bernard Herring as a, yeah. as a professor. And, you know, they, they, they and Father Joseph Fuchs came over to lecture, but, you know, there's... There's abstract, um, non-negotiable, uh, non-negotiable norms. You know, like do good, avoid evil. Yeah. You always must do what is most loving. You must never cause harm. And but when it comes to concrete acts, uh, he seemed to say, well, you always have to consider the the context, the circumstances, yeah. the situation, uh, uh, the context. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, and then, so the whole question of humane vitae was whether or not it was. Uh, something that was changeable. And, of okay. course, when there was the so-called birth control commission, there were some cardinals, including Cardinal Dearden, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. Cardinal Sunins, and others. They thought, well, this is maybe something that could change. Right. Right. But the language used if, 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 by uh, Pius XI in Casti Canubi mm-hmm. uh, that had been used, in, you know, if you look at when onanism or contraceptive Methods were always rejected right. as against uh, nature, against God. I mean, it, 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 it occurred to— And that wasn't simply a Catholic rejection. Either. No, it was, it, was, uh, it was universal yeah. until the Lambeth Conference of 1930. Yeah. So that's why Pius XI came out so strongly— With Casti Canubi. in yeah. December of 1930. So this is—but but now it's gone—you know, the, it's because I think the— the um, the Monsignor who presented Humanae Vitae said, "Well, it's not infallible, you know." And that that then then the news media spun yeah. that, yeah. And yeah. there was a whole question of the theology uh, of of licit dissent, and even yes. the U.S. bishops in their their otherwise very good pastoral letter, Human Life in Our Day, nineteen sixty eight actually said there could be licit dissent. Mm-hmm. But I think they, by licit dissent, they meant private dissent. Right. And so Not- then, and, and so the, this question of dissent and could there be uh, faithful dissent and so on, this was spinning around. And I think it was answered by Donum Veritatis, or the Ecclesial Vocation of a Theologian, 1990, by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, where public dissent is just ruled out. It's right. considered a problem. I mean, private dissent is, may be simply a, an act of learning. Yeah. Uh, where you start out by saying, uh, uh, I don't get it, you know? I'm no, not sure what's going on here. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's better phrased rather than dissent as an inability, a private in, inability or uh, to give assent. Yes. Okay. But then there's the responsibility of studying the matter, being yes. open more, and one could communicate one's difficulties, but always with the desire to resolve them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, now there's all people on the left and the right, you know, they just, 
throw bombs out there. You know, this is, you know, wrong. This is like Father Curran, you know, at a press conference said this teaching is wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and he was like 35, 36 at the time. He was yeah. a, he was still a Catholic U then? He was a Catholic yeah. U. And it took from 68 until 1986, you know, to... For the for you know for the church really to address the problem, but he was kept appealing to the U.S. bishop statement on the sit dissent, mm. but uh, Cardinal Ratzinger did not want to contradict the bishops. Right. But I think he was planning. We have to come out with a a clearer statement on this. And that's what the, yeah, yeah. The, this one on uh, the Donum, task of the theologian. Yeah, the yeah. Donum Veritatis, yeah. nineteen nine, wonderful document. But you know, in, in in my essay, I was trying to deal with the question of dissent uh, in this book. And I go through the Father Curran case and so on. Yeah. But, but but there was a there was an interview with uh, this member of the Pontifical mm-hmm. Academy for Life, Father Maurizio Chiodi, and he said, "This is a quote: It is a common opinion among theologians that the ecclesial magisterium has not spoken on moral issues in an in an infallible way so far." Although, of course, that does not exclude that it may do so in the future. Now, uh, uh, hold it there. We've got to take a break right now. Yeah. So hold it there. And we'll come back and pick it up. Yeah. Uh, it's an unusual statement. Oh, yeah. I, I've not heard that before. Well, <laughs> I looked at the Italian text as well. I mean, that's what he said. All right. My guest is Dr. Robert Festigi of Sacred Heart Major Seminary. He's a contributor and editor of Humanae Vitae in Catholic Sexual Morality. It's a response to the Pontifical Academy of Life's Theological Ethics. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Let me mention something which uh, really deserves to be said just even daily. You can get all the latest Catholic news weeknights at 9 Eastern on EWTN Radio and TV. We've got EWTN News Nightly with Tracy Sable, covers breaking news, top stories, daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome, all from a Catholic perspective. And again, it's every night, 9 Eastern, EWTN Radio and TV. I'm with Dr. Robert Festigi. We're talking about... uh, an area of chronic controversy, and that has to, in the field of um, moral theology. And uh, you were saying before the break, uh, Dr. Festigi, that uh, there was one fellow who contributed to this um, conference in the, at the Pontifical Academy for Life in the spring of 2022, who made the statement that nothing, there's never been anything taught infallibly on, on moral theological issues. Y- yes, it wasn't, it wasn't within the uh, Theological Ethics of Life volume. Oh, okay. But it was an interview, and, um, you know, he's, he's a, a major member and, a, and, and a, a professor there at the, the John Paul II Center in Rome, but uh, I, 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 I was I was rather shocked when I read it, and and he just said uh, that um, uh, it is a common opinion among theologians that the ecclesiastical magisterium has not spoken on moral issues in an infallible way so far. Is, is that true of moral theologians born 
before 1940? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Or I mean, I, I don't I think mean, it doesn't reflect the moral theologians who teach at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Right. I, could, I could say that. Right. But, 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 but to counter this, I looked at Evangelium Vitae, yeah. uh, where St. John Paul II clearly uh, affirms, he doesn't have to define, but he confirms that the direct killing of the innocent direct abortion and euthanasia are infallible by virtue of the ordinary universal magisterium yeah. you know because these teachings are you know that that you know uh, i'll just uh, re- read you what he says sure. in, in therefore by the authority which christ conferred upon peter and his successors and in communion with the bishops of the catholic church we confirm that the direct and voluntary killing of an innocent human being is always gravely immoral. This doctrine, based upon the unwritten law which man in the light of reason finds in his own heart, is reaffirmed by sacred scripture, transmitted by the tradition of the church, and taught by the ordinary and universal magisterium. And he uses a similar language with regard to direct abortion and euthanasia. Yeah. He leaves no doubt. Right. So, in other words, it's it's a it's a... A false attitude uh, idea some people have that only defined matters of faith and morals, uh, what we call de fide definita, are infallible. Yeah. That there's also this area of the ordinary universal magisterium. Mm-hmm. And then also matters which uh, uh, the church has definitively taken a stand, like that women, the church has no authority to ordain women to yeah. the priesthood. Yeah. So sometimes there's debates about what is infallibly uh, taught and so on, but on these three issues, which are clearly moral, yeah, I don't see how anyone could even raise the question. So I don't know who these majority, the, the grand part, uh, you know, the grand parte the, uh, the theologians that he talks about. Right. Maybe maybe he's in touch with them, but I I, I, I don't think it's, it reflects Africa, you know, or the Philippines. I, I you know, <laughs> but I'm just going by what I know. John Paul II said, sure. So there are in this is and it's there in Veritatis Splendor number eighty, and and where he gives a uh, like a list of intrinsically evil or immoral acts, yeah. and of course he cites also Gaudium et Spes twenty seven. So this is a this is I think a false attitude uh, that is being around that the the church has not made any infallible judgments. Yeah. Now, it, it, and then that, that opens the door to dissent. People say, well, maybe the, the church can mature by responsible dissent and come to question some of these yeah. teachings yeah. and so on. And we were talking during the break about John Noonan, yes. this great uh, jurist and, and legal scholar, and he favored a change in church teaching on contraception. Right. But in his book, he had the honesty to admit that there was a unanimous tradition, <laughs> that no one, no church father ever supported yeah. contraception. Yeah. And, and, and so this, uh, this he admitted, but then he thought, well, now the circumstances and science have changed and the church could change too. Yeah. You know, this, yeah. this same argument now is being used regarding homosexual acts. Yes, that, that we've it, learned something new about uh, the development of... Uh, our psychosexual development. I mean, uh, and, and so that changes what the norms would be. No, you see, the the norms cannot change. I mean, 
you, you, what could change is maybe a pastoral approach to dealing with people right. who have these uh, these problems. And as you know, Archbishop Vigneron has just come out with a pastoral letter. Yeah, I, I uh, quoted from it earlier today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, and and so you can't change the moral norms, but how do we approach people who are afflicted with these? temptations or the gender confusion. So that's more of a pastoral issue, you know. know, uh, How should the church deal with people dealing with this? And, you know, know, he has a one line that we just don't want to throw truth bombs at them. Right. You know, and and, and, uh, that could be abused. But I think what he means is we just can't. These are people who are wounded, confused, and if you just rattle off what the catechism says, they're not going to listen. So we have to accompany them. This is what Pope Francis is trying to stress. But this is theological ambiguity or, I think, a mistake on the part of Father Chiodi. He might be sincere, and he might actually say this seems to be the general consensus. But, you know, there's also some people, even on the right, who say, well, you know, the, the, the only infallible statements are what we have to follow. So every time the Pope comes out with a statement, we could challenge it. Right. So right. so it comes from the left. It was more prominent on the the, the left in the 1970s, but right. now there's some on the right. Yeah. You know, and it, it doesn't mean we can't have difficulty or question the prudence of certain statements or even the way in which a teaching is articulated. That's right. All of this is there in the ecclesial vocation of the theologian. But if you have difficulties, you want to try to communicate them with with a desire to overcome them. That's right. You know, know, but, but I think this... I hope this book, which has some wonderful chapters on conscience, yeah. Matthew Levering deals with that. And, and that, of course, that was the big buzzword word in the 1970s, and it continued, well, in my conscience, I cannot abide yeah. by this. Yeah. And so conscience, yes, we have to follow our conscience, but it has to be properly formed. Yes. Yes. And, and you know, conscience doesn't create the moral norm. Conscience perceives the, 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 the moral norm which comes from God ultimately, yes, either yes. through the natural law, which is uh, from the, what, what the participation of the created intellect in the eternal law of God or right reason, or from Scripture, uh, you know, that the natural law, what, what is taught in Scripture is reaffirmed, but some of the norms could be known by Scripture, like St. Paul says in Romans two fourteen through 15, what could be known... Uh, 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 of the law is evident to them. Yes, the, the 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 demands of the law are written in the heart. In their hearts, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've been speaking too much. Uh, uh, no, I, I love I love listening to you. I love learning from you. Uh, I'll ask a question, which I know has been brought up by listeners in the past, and that is, what has happened at the John Paul II Institute? Yeah, well, there was a. There was a rearrangement, and some very good people were let go. Yeah, but I I think it was this attitude: uh, we want the social sciences, we want more involved and a, a more dialogical approach uh, to it, and not just be intra-Catholic. Yeah. So this is yeah. a benevolent understanding. They wanted to expand yeah. the outreach for it. But there were some, you know, well, we, we benefited at Sacred Heart Major Seminary because we now have Oana Gotzia, who taught for 10 years there <laughs> at the John Paul II Institute. <laughs> and so some people question whether or not 
it, it is really reflecting the the theology, the moral theology of John Paul yeah. II. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe there, there have some, like uh, Stefan uh, Kompowski, I think is his name, Kompowski, uh, he he would reflect that, uh, and and he co-authored an article with Cardinal Müller, uh, you know, okay. raising some of these questions. Kampowski, I think, would be, yeah. but he's he's actually German, though the name sounds somewhat Slavic. But he he's very good, and he's still there. So yeah. I, I think we have to avoid generalizations. But what happened? I, you know, I I hold off judgment. Yeah. you know, when Fair I, don't, I don't know the, all the details and. I just know it was a kind of a, a desire to expand it. For I mean, example, there's, no, there's yeah. nothing wrong with learning what we can from the social sciences. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's we certainly want. Yes, and I know uh, Marianne Glendon uh, headed up uh, a committee in the social sciences under yeah, Pope Francis yeah, for a yeah, while yeah. to see if uh, there was um, ways of uh, interfacing. Uh, because we want to be able to speak to yeah. uh, the social sciences as well as learn from. Yeah, no, that's right. But we, we don't, the social sciences aren't the foundation no, for our that's, doctrine. That's right. We have, you know, it's one, one thing to learn from them, but the, the, it's not the source of moral norms. Right. And, and social sciences today are often operating uh, with uh, anthropological and philosophical uh, positions that are dubious, if not uh, heretical. That is right. You know, you know, and, you know, I'm a member of the Pontifical Marian Academy, and Pope Francis has given some direction. He wanted, a, like, a subcommittee dealing with the abuse of Mary by the mafia or different mafias. Oh. <laughs> and then he, he wanted a, a dialogue group with Muslims, on Mary, on Mary, because yeah. she's the most prominent woman in the Quran. That's right. So these are some sometimes good can come sure, out of this. Sure, and 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 so that's important. But you, you, you know, there's there's a need to reaffirm and study more deeply the wisdom of the Church. That you know, Humanae Vitae was reaffirmed the traditional teaching and the the uh, two ends or meanings of the marital act, the unitive and the procreative. But some people were not persuaded. Yeah. And I yeah. remember Father Herrings. I asked him why uh, why these bishop conferences uh, you know, to, had trouble with it. Well, but if they had trouble with it, why did Pope, Fra- Pope Paul VI be so insistent? And he said, oh, it was his neo-scholastic background. You know, he wasn't. Uh, and he said he was a very good man. I, you know, they, they. So, so, but, but, but then John Paul II, who had a background in personalism, in yeah. phenomenology, really with those Wednesday audiences, which constitute the theology of the body, yeah. he went into this very deeply. Right. And right. he really, and he, this was something that he was very concerned with, even as a young priest. You know, with. Uh, um, uh, talking about the nature of the marital act yeah, yeah. and counseling young people. And you know what was at the time of... The uh, m- music coming up okay. under us. We're done. We're out of time. I would love to spend more time with you, but oh. uh, the clock is an imperious master. No, I know. I know. <laughs> well, I hope uh, I, I, I could have, you know, I, I, 
I picked the one essay that I thought was really outstanding. I mean, they're all outstanding, <laughs> but Michael Waldstein then says, here's a pontifical academy, and here's what the Pope says. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> so, so God bless Michael Waldstein for doing that. So I, I, I always like to be benevolent. You know?